Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Mark Kaufman is the founder and executive chairman of Athletico Physical Therapy. With over 900 locations across 25 states, it is a leading provider of outpatient physical therapy, occupational health, and orthopedic rehabilitation services. Mark started Athletico in 1991. Today, the company employs over 8,000 clinical and administrative staff. In addition to his ongoing role at Atletico, he serves on the board of directors for several organizations, including Excel Rehabilitation Services, Michigan Rehabilitation Specialists, and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Metropolitan Chicago. Mark received his Bachelor of Science degree in Athletic Training and Physical Education from the University of Iowa and his Master's of Science degree in Exercise and Sports Sciences from the University of Arizona. He also holds a Bachelor's degree in Physical Therapy from Northwestern University. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the Healthcare and Higher podcast. Iqbal, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm so excited to talk to you. I think you are the first individual that is joining my show that has witnessed the growth of an organization from beginning to now. Um, and that, I think, is going to be a very unique perspective for the listeners today because most people come, they join, uh, and they take what's already present and they make it better you're taking it from ground zero to the skyscraper that uh, Atletico has become today. Mark, you and I have had several conversations in the past. I'm very glad that we have. I know that some of the listeners on today's show know you, some of them know me, and there will be some that are unfamiliar with both of us. Uh, Why don't we take this opportunity and have you introduce yourself? I'd love for you to talk a little bit about who you are, what your role is, and how do you take healthcare to a higher level? Well, there's a lot there, I guess, but I will start with the simple part. My name is Mark Kaufman. I'm the uh, executive chairman and founder of Athletico Physical Therapy. I uh, am originally from a small and by any standard, very small town in Iowa. I'm going to go see my parents uh, this week that live in the house that I grew up in. And it's about 180 to 200 people in the town of Olds, Iowa and Southeast Iowa. But uh Started Athletico Physical Therapy as a desire to open one physical therapy clinic in 1991, August, and had no idea what the uh, the lay of the land was going to be for the next 30 plus years for, for me and our organization. Obviously, very proud of that. Uh, have a lot of opinions around where physical therapy can take healthcare and where it should be more engaged in healthcare, but... Uh, Happy to talk about whatever is on your mind tonight. Well, Mark, again, I'm I'm super excited. My wife was born in Ames, and I know that that's like North Central, but you know I've been there. And if you're telling me that it's like itty bitty and 180, is that correct? 180, 200 people in the town. Yeah, yeah. Look it up. I've had people send it to me. I grew up there. I didn't think much about it other than that was the town I grew up in. But I've had people text me messages with Google population outlays from, you know, the last hundred years that uh, 
you know, with the questions, are you serious? <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's, you know, is an easy way to grow up. And uh, like I said, my folks still live there. I pretty much know uh, most of the people that have been there for a long time in the town, but uh, don't get back as much as I like to, but uh, nothing but fond memories of the small town Iowa. Hey, I, you know, being a Midwesterner myself, I'm always uh, impressed with people that have that upbringing. So we're going to probably delve into that as well in the show too. Uh, but Mark, let me let me take a step to the side here for a moment. There are some listeners that are very familiar with Athletico. You know, I live in the Chicagoland area, so just about every few miles I'll see one or I'm aware of, you know, the great things that your organization does. But for the people that are probably hearing Atletico for the first time, I just want to kind of give them some, some background so that they have an idea of what this organization is and, and how far it has advanced uh, in the 30 plus years of its existence. Uh, so you mentioned that you started your first uh, facility in 1991, um, and since then, it, it's grown dramatically. You have over 600 locations in 19 states with over 5,000 employees, and you began really just as a physical therapy services provider. But since then, uh, you've added occupational therapy, athletic training, a lot of different specialty programs, and of course, orthopedic rehabilitation services, and you know, really offering and delivering these services, not just to the community and public at large, but you know, high schools, colleges, professional sports teams. Um, and I think one of the things that really has been, I mean, I've seen several acquisitions over the last few years, Georgelina uh, is one of them, but most recently, Atletico just entered and finished a total acquisition and merger of Pivot Health Solutions which you know, is now, is, it's very well known in the East and Northeast regions, right? So now your footprint has grown uh, from 600 locations to 900 locations. You've now have a total of 8,000 uh, associates and employees across 25 states in DC. Um, and so, you know, size is really important. Footprint is important, but quality, I think, underlies everything. And Atletico is no stranger to having been recognized as a leader in, in a variety of different magazines uh, in a lot of different venues. I know that Atletico was named number one in workplace, uh, number one workplace in Chicago. You have actually been uh, described as the best physical therapy practice in the nation by Advanced Magazine. Um, and one of the things that's not physical therapy related but still very critical is the fact that you guys are a leader when it comes to employee volunteerism. Those are the things that really define a company's culture. And I think, you know, for me, uh, it starts at the top. So when I hear these things and see these things, and I recognize that an organization of its size and scope uh, has these accolades and achievements under their belt, I also recognize that there's a, a, a mission that drives uh, the people that work for this type of organization. Um, and, and those things have to be driven and found and cultivated by leaders within your within your org. So hopefully the listeners have now just a, a broader understanding of what Atletico is, how it operates. Um, and, you know, I, as we see things shifting, right, you know, most of the guests that have been on the show uh, when we began the show almost a year ago um, was, you know, coming out of a shock, like a shell shock like situation of, with the pandemic. Uh, companies had shut down um, and, you know, things were starting to say like, hey, we have to move forward. Um, and, you know, a lot of companies found ways to innovate and try new technologies and do different things. Um, but physical therapy has really not, you know, had to do a lot of the reaction, right? Like it's always been a service that's critical for the masses and Atletico has just delivered those types of services. I would love to understand from your perspective and your vantage point, um, you know, what is something that your company has either identified as a problem that is facing patients, the physical therapy industry, healthcare as a whole, and that Atletico has staked its claim to address it, or maybe something that you can say that Atletico has very proudly achieved maybe in the last 18, 24 months? And what was that problem that Atletico solved and how did it do it? Well, just listening to you, Iqbal, I, I started thinking about about 30 things I need to work harder at, you know, our, uh, our exposure to uh, charitable organizations and our volunteerism and things we can do more there. I mean, there's always, I've always had this spirit about me attitude around continuous improvement, continuous innovation about how we can get better and do better. And so wherever we were at, whatever we were doing, 
my mantra is always just get better and and focus on how we can get better. And when I look back, you know, to your, to the end, starting with the end first with COVID, you know, no one knew what that was like. I'm so proud of our organization. Uh, I consider physical therapists, athletic trainers, occupational or hand therapists, some of the most resilient people I've I've ever worked with. And that was usually in a setting where they're innovating programs, they're getting people back, they're getting them back faster, they're getting them back to the quality of life, jobs, activities, athletics, at a, at a rate where the, the patient's happy, the physician's happy, and obviously we're happy, so everyone's happy. But overlaying COVID on that with a pandemic, with a complete unknown, how our team responded and quickly implemented virtual care, uh, which you know, we were playing with it. We were experimenting with it. That gave us, I guess, a leg up. But then when we had to basically overnight train all of our therapists, thousands of therapists, and get them comfortable with delivering physical therapy, hand therapy, and other services uh, virtually uh, was, you know, created, I would say, a lot of anxiety in me and probably a lot of members of the team. But the team embraced it and got it going to where you know, there were facilities and regions that were seeing 10, 20, 30% of their visits were virtual. And of course, our business, like almost everyone, if it wasn't cut in half, it was decimated, but our business was cut in half. So all of a sudden, the amount of virtual business that we were doing, uh, meaning the visits that we were delivering day in, day out were virtual, uh, were in those percentage numbers. And yet, uh, we were delivering what I would call an evolved service, a quality of care. The patients were satisfied. We were certainly satisfied. And then I could watch the therapist, you know, having fun with it where, you know, you try something that doesn't work. You try it another way. You ask a patient to do something virtually. Well, that didn't work. Let's figure out another way to do it. And so within what I would, it felt like seconds and minutes, not days and weeks where we were able to adapt and adjust to that. And that was rewarding to watch because I watched our team do that and they did, did a fantastic job. And when COVID started to level off, slow down, and of course we went through our, our spikes with Delta and Omicron and everything related to that over the last two years, which is another, we could talk for the another podcast on that, but we, uh, we saw the return of the patients to the, what I call bricks and mortar facilities. And that was comforting to me because I've always believed that patients wanted the, their, the hands of the therapist on them. They wanted the stretching, they wanted the mobilizations, they wanted the guidance with the exercises. It's not something you can necessarily log on to a YouTube video or a, an app and just go through it and get as much as you want. And I'm old school. I'm an old war horse. I've been doing this. You know, I've been a licensed athletic trainer since 1986. I've been a licensed physical therapist since 1989. So uh, I'm not necessarily the one you want to be talking about that. But it was it was refreshing to me to see that the patients came back. They wanted, the, you know, they wanted to be in the facilities. They wanted the atmosphere in our, in our facilities. They wanted the uh, morale boost they get from being around other patients who are trying to get healthy, get better, and do it as quickly as possible. And uh, they wanted the attention of our therapists. So that was refreshing to me. And yet I, I believe that you know virtual health is here to stay. It's something our, our team is exploring the best model and what that looks like. What percentage of our overall patient care visits will be virtual? I have no idea as it's gone, you know, certain facilities, it's gone certain areas, regions, rural versus metro, and you can go through all the different territories and regions and seeing how it looks. But uh, some will be uh, at a higher rate, some it won't, but it will be there. And there, there is, I've, I felt as soon as I understood what we were doing and where it was going, I felt that that would ultimately be part of what a uh, physical therapy regimen could look like. If you come in for 12 visits for a knee rehab, what percentage of them could be successful, successfully implemented as virtual? There's a certain number that could be and uh, deliver great healthcare at a uh, efficient cost and bend the health healthcare curve is part of what physical therapy is up to. And what I think 
will help lead us to a, a, a stronger position in the uh, world of healthcare in the future. I think you, well, you, you've hit the nail on the head on a couple of things here that I want to touch on. Like, so, I, I mean, I, I'm not really somebody that, you know, needs to have a lot of hands-on instruction, but I will tell you that in the two years that since COVID, like I just kind of stopped going to the gym because, you know, everybody was all freaked out by it. And at some point, like in the last few months, I'm like, okay, enough is enough. But I went and I now have a personal trainer, but I will tell you that, I mean, I'm kind of kicking myself for not really having somebody give me that type of hands-on instruction. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that gets lost in this digital medium that we use. Some of it is out of necessity and I understand that, uh, but we are all still human beings that do crave interaction and social, social contact. Um, and I don't think that that's really going to change uh, dramatically uh, over the next few years as well. So maybe that is another podcast that we'll talk about uh, a little bit more in detail. But um, you know, I, I think I I think it's interesting again from your from your perspective, right? Because you have grown, you started one facility to be able to provide physical therapy uh, and occupational therapy rehab services for a community, and now you are really giving guidance and, and having built this entire organization uh, that is, is expansive, by, and, and that's an understatement. I think what's interesting is also that in order for you to have done that along with your team, uh, you have also had to see things in the future, right? Not necessarily prophesize, uh, but you see trends that are coming and you say, hey, how are we going to be able to stay ahead of that curve? So that way we're delivering quality services for our patients that require them or request them. Um, or, hey, there's a threat out there that's up and coming, uh, and we need to be ready for that. Is there something that you prophesize or see uh, in the next five years that's really going to either change the way that physical therapy is going to be able to be delivered um, or something that you see that's going to impact patients that is going to create a higher demand for physical therapy in by 2027. It's great uh, lead. You know where I believe we have the opportunity to go. We we as physical therapists, and I mentioned bending the cost curve, and you could you could label any number of reasons why I think it's an appropriate topic at this time. One, opioids. You know the the cost of the opioid epidemic is just something that you know being healthcare practitioners trying to do the right thing, I think demands that we look at that and see how we could help. And then you look at the cost of healthcare and you see where we can help. We're a conservative, conservative non-surgical, innovative method of delivering healthcare that we have the opportunity to get on the front of the cost care curve, where if you have a patient with pain, let's start with pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, back pain, neck pain, hip pain, ankle pain, what have you, give a physical therapist or a hand therapist a chance to evaluate that person, develop some modalities and treatment philosophies to give that patient for whatever, you, you give me a number, you say six visits, say 12 visits, whatever, give me three to four weeks of working with this patient and I guarantee you that the patient will be better served and will be sorted out. Can they be treated and treated successfully with conservative care versus needing imaging, drugs, surgery, injections, the higher cost of healthcare, where I think we can prevent that and we can step in front of that. And so when I hear of orthopedic pain, and I look back in my career where I saw the patient after they had received all those modalities, they'd received imaging, they'd received injections, they'd received uh, physician care, maybe emergency physician care and or follow-up specialization uh, specialist care. And then they may have had surgery before they saw me. And then now I get them on the back end and I see them and I get them back to what I can get them back to but how much of those initial costs, initial modalities could have been avoided. And it's not every time. I mean, there's times that a, a, a person, you know, falls on the football field and tears their ACL or bends over and grabs something at work and blows out a disc in their back where surgery is indicated and it needs to be 
implemented and that that's the beginning uh, treatment modality for the for the patient there's a lot of times where it's questionable there's nothing wrong with giving conservative therapy a chance physical therapy occupational hand therapy or what have you and then see what we can do and then you know see what benefit we can allow and oftentimes we can get the patient back to activities of daily living, get them back to functional work status, get them back to, you know, being on the football, uh, the, the athletic fields, and, and they're back to normal. And we've done it with, you know, two or three months of conservative physical therapy management versus all the other modalities and the costs associated with that. And then you look at the overall healthcare system, the overall healthcare cost, you look at the prescription of, of medications like opioids, and you see like the why not comes to mind. And so we as an organization, Athletico, we as an industry, physical therapy, the American Physical Therapy Association, we all have to do a better job of promoting what we can do and how we can do that and given, you know, you know driving ourselves into the, into the spectrum of care where we have the opportunity to do what we can do. And like I said, I guarantee you, our clinicians are standing ready, ready to help those patients and get them back to the quality of life they deserve in a quicker fashion, uh, meaning they don't have to go through the entire spectrum of healthcare until they land in one of our offices and get them back in with a lot less dollars expended. And uh, it's just something that I, I think strongly about. I, I grew up in the system of athletic referrals, meaning they saw the team physician and then they saw the, the athletic trainer or the physical therapist and what I grew up in it worked really well as a team, you know, around sports medicine and uh, and the care of the athlete, but it doesn't always work as well for, you know, the average person that is dealing with something that comes up in their daily life and how quickly we can get them back uh, to where they should be. So that's where I, I think that uh, physical therapy should be putting their energy, putting their PR, putting their their, uh, their public expressions around what we can do and how we can bend the cost care curve and how we can be more influential than we are right now. And those things are happening. It's happening, not at the progress I'd like to see, but it, it I think, is and will happen uh, in the years to come. I agree. I think that at some point, I mean, we've really always talked about costs and how healthcare is struggling to meet, you know, not just meet the needs of the patients, number one, but uh, both from a quality and cost perspective, we we continue to see so many mistakes uh, and misses across the board. Um, you know, I know a lot of schools are working now more in an interdisciplinary capacity to be able to facilitate a lot of the conversations and be more proactive rather than the reactive stance that you know basically I kind of grew up in in that area as well. Um, so yeah, I really am hopeful in that space that we'll see a lot of novel uh, modalities start to become mainstream uh, rather than just, you know, trial and tribulations that come, you know, with, with, with just trial and error, I guess. And we're seeing, you know, we're seeing, you know, the one I didn't mention was direct access where patients now can come walk into our clinics and get cared for. And that can be where we used to be at the, at the, uh, with respect to the physician's referral, we were at the, you know, at the effect of, so to speak, the physician's referral. We had to have a physician's referral for physical therapy where now many states, most of the states have some form of direct access where a patient can come in off the street, see a physical therapist. It can be covered by their insurance without the, the, the uh, benefit, so to speak, of a physician's prescription. So, you know, it's going the right direction. It has a ways to go. Um, and in the public understanding too, in the public education process, what happens when you get injured? Do you go see a physical therapist for a shoulder injury? Maybe, maybe not. You probably go to a, a physician or a, your primary care or your orthopedist. Or if it's a spine issue, oftentimes you end up in the in the lap of a chiropractor. So we have a lot of work to do. And uh, you know, I, I know it's being talked about within the industry on how we can be more effective because I think we have a lot of value to add. I do as well. Mark, I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show, some of the, the, the accolades that Atletico has acquired over the years. You know, we talked about being the number one workplace in Chicago and, you know, being, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think the best uh, physical therapy practice in the nation. I mean, those things don't just happen overnight. They also don't just happen out of circumstance. It's really, 
like driven by a company culture and by leaders that believe in the mission and the vision and the values. I'm curious to understand, especially as the founder and executive chairman, you know, what are some of the keys of developing a company culture that fosters that type of uh, that, that spirit of, you know, quality and excellence and, you know, permeating throughout a multi-site organization like that's it's difficult to do, you know, at all. Uh, even within an organization. But when we think about the scope and size of, of Atletico, like it's it's designing that culture. Uh, and I'd really like to know if there's a secret sauce that you have or what are the things that really makes it effective for you and your team to be able to help others see and believe in what you do? Well, I uh, starting Atletico in 91, I never thought about the, our company culture and what that was going to look like. And that was on me. It was my mistake. I was too worried about keeping the lights on and being around or relevant after a year or two years or five years. But at some point I, I started visiting a hand, you know, by, we opened our first facility in 91, our second facility in 94, third, 95. By 2000, we had 10 locations. And I was visiting the location, spending time with the staff, staff meetings, and I was noticing different vibes at a facility, different environments in the facility, different feel when I go in there, different uh, tenor at the uh, staff meeting and, you know, what the focus of the meeting was on. And that was when I started to appreciate what culture is and what it, what it could be. And certainly uh, made all the mistakes that a person could make as a young leader or a person that's managing people and evolving a culture within a business. And again, we were at 10 clinics. I might've thought we got, we would get to 15, not 900, you know? So I didn't have a, a grandiose plan that was going to take us on a trajectory like a hockey stick and just take us to where we are today. But I did appreciate the differences and the fact that in, you know, I would say 2004, 2010, we really worked on our company culture to understand what, what was, what was Athletico, what made us click, what differentiated us, what our culture was about and just sat with a group of leaders, you know, not two or three, we're talking a hundred leaders and just talking about the values that, that we embraced and held on to and held dear to our existence. And those at the initial onsite or onslaught were uh, uh, what we called patient attendance or patient uh, service being number one, accountability, we're accountable to everything that's going on in our work and our lives, continuous improvement, and teamwork. And so that's where we started. And I've always discussed that, that uh, culture is not a singular event. It lives and breathes every day. I discussed uh, or described Athletico's culture as being one of appreciation where you're catching people doing things right. I uh, am really good at acknowledging when things are going right, but not recognizing them. And only acknowledging when things are going wrong. I'll find out and I'll identify and talk to you about what you're doing wrong, but I'm slow to respond to when you do great at the things you're, you should be doing well. And those are the important things that when you recognize and reinforce things that are going well, it makes those tougher conversations, so to speak, when things aren't going as well or things weren't handled as appropriately or something went awry that you sit down and have the conversation around, hey, I saw the way this was handled and I didn't agree with it, but I wanna hear your feedback. But having the conversation, having leadership live it, using the language, culture is not a singular event, it's every day, every, every opportunity you have to improve or advance the culture or set it back. And uh, we talked about it, we worked on it, we were a really tight culture. And I'll tell you this, Iqbal, it's very, e it's easier to evolve a culture on an organically grown business or service line like Athletico. When you start acquiring companies that have their own identification or their own culture, and then integrating them into yours, that's a whole different set of challenges and something we had to adapt to and get better at. But uh Culture is uh, something that drives us. I think it helps uh, 
you know, it helped certainly that I was a physical therapist and an athletic trainer. So I knew what it was like to treat a patient, to open a, to open a facility in the morning when it's dark, dark and cold outside. And there's, you know, you have to shovel the sidewalks to let the patients in or whatever it is. And, uh, or to be standing on a, on a athletic field and taking care of the athletes that, that helped us, uh, relate to, uh, help me relate to our team. It certainly helps our new CEO, Chris Throckmorton, who is a physical therapist by his training has been a physical therapist for 30 plus years as well. And so, um, it's just easier to understand and relate to the team and, and appreciate what they're going through and getting the patients in, managing their schedule, delivering a high quality care of care and pushing the buttons necessary to maintain a consistency. And I guess that would be what I'd end with. I mean, a consistency, you're going to have your blips, you're going to have your, your things you do wrong, you know, that, uh, that don't enhance the culture. But if you can be a consistent leader and a consistent example of what a good culture can look like, you have a fighting chance to have a good company culture. And it's something that, you know, we work at every day and we're going to continue to work at. Mark, you've talked a lot about leadership and, you know, certainly some of the, the synergies that come across, you know, regardless of the profession. Um, and I think that, you know, you're, you're a good testament in terms of like some of the ups and downs of what leaders go through, right? Like you, as a young leader, you know, your focus is probably just very metrics based, right? Like, hey, this is how many patients we need to see. Here's the uh, revenue we need to generate. Here's the satisfaction scores. So whatever it takes, let's just do it. And, you know, over time, you learn like, hey, I'm, I'm not the only one that's going to be able to do this. I need to have other people that are not just on board with the mission, but I need to feed into them. I need to you know, pour into them, support them, encourage them. But at the same time, like right now, you know, no matter what level you are as a leader, you realize that there's also a necessity to have something or someone pour back into you. So self-work is a critical piece of leadership development. And I think that sometimes leaders forget that. They are finding themselves in a situation where all they do is give, give, give until they're bone dry, their gas tank is empty, uh, and that's a problem. So how do you try to feed your leaders the concept of self-work um, and self-development, and how do they pour themselves, how do they find things to pour back into themselves so that they can become the better leaders they want to be for their teams? Well, First, uh, Iqbal, I avoid the use of the word try. Try is, in my world, uh, something you uh, intend on doing, but have no real intention of accomplishing. You, you, you want to do it, but uh, you have no intention of, of completing. You, you try to lose 10 pounds, but you, you'll never do it. Um, but when we talk, and that's just a pet peeve of mine, when we talk about that, you know, I, I one of the first things I, I tell people is being the, being willing to be vulnerable and being willing to uh, leverage those around you. You know, when Mark Kaufman started, Mark thought that he needed to know everything. He needed to be a real estate expert, a legal expert, accounting expert. And oh, by the way, a physical therapist and athletic trainer wasn't too bad. I figured out fairly quickly and not all, all independently that I, I was good at some things and I should focus on the things I'm good at and surround myself with people that were better than me and the things I needed. And some of those I listed, but there were other things too. But I, I saw therapists, I hired people that started uh, some of our programs. I think of Julia O'Connell who started our performance uh, performing arts program our hand therapy program, our women's health program, our endurance athlete running in injury program, our overhead athlete, our hip preservation, all these types of programs that I, I can absolutely uh, uh, take zero credit for because I started a physical therapy and athletic training practice where I had no chance to include all these other programs only because people that we had brought on to Athletico were willing to say, hey, can I do this? Could we start this? And we were, of course, open to that and supporting them. But it was their energy, passion, and experience and expertise that that uh, led to the success around these programs. But we were willing to do that. So uh, it's willing to ask the questions of those around you, willing to leverage the resources that are available to you. When I'm talking to a group of new managers or new clinicians, 
or our new hires, I, I just say, listen, there's things that you in this room are better than I am at, and there's things that I'm better than you are. And willing to say, hey, how do you look at this? And how do you treat this particular type of patient? Or how do you manage this certain situation? I saw the way, I saw your results in your facility or with your patient care that were better than mine. And being willing to ask those questions and share and understand, and I call it leverage, uh, leverage the resources around you, I think is so important to those that if you come into this world or this practice of physical therapy or to any any type of business or career with the thought that you need to know it all and it's all on you versus asking questions, leveraging the right resources and always learning, uh, you're going to fast track your growth in a way that, uh, you know, is uh, on a scale that you can't keep up with. And so uh, I think it's the quickest way. I, I was uh, probably slow in some ways to realize that, but it's something I picked up on that I, I talk to our team a lot, you know, all the time and uh, in every opportunity that they're, they're willing to have those conversations with their colleagues and understand what they can learn from them and improve themselves because it's only going to benefit themselves. It's going to benefit their results with their patients. It's going to benefit their experience of their, their team, their managing or what have you. So it's a, and it's fun, by the way. <laughs> I, I would agree. I would agree. Thank you for that, Mark. You know, we've talked a lot about Athletico, the organization, a lot about leaders and, and leadership development. You know, I'd like to kind of pivot the conversation now more into you. I mean, you're a you know, very interesting individual as well that's come to where you are now uh, through a lot of experience, um, education, and also exposure. You know, Mark, is there like when you think about like some of the things that you've experienced throughout the course of your of your career, uh, which, by the way, continues, I know, on for many, many, many more years, perhaps even decades. Um, but, you know, when you think about your career, uh, is there a moment that you reflect upon uh, proudly where you think, you know, I still have a lot more to do, but that's probably one of the finer points that I am really proud of uh, in terms of either something you've done um, or something that you were instrumental in seeing come to life? There's, uh, you know, and I just had one of those examples today that I shared with the team. We, I, I heard from a, a nurse with a physician who I worked closely with in the, I'll call it the old days, who retired as a nurse, is now a mom and a few children later, and she had surgery by the physician she used to work with on her shoulder. And unbeknownst to me, she went to a facility, you know, far, far away from where I worked with her, which was downtown. And she reached out to me via email. I don't, I haven't heard from her in some time. And she just uh, took a selfie and sent it to me and raised her shoulder and she said she had a shoulder procedure by her former employer the physician and she went to our facility in this particular suburb and she was doing great and Athletico is still the best and she wanted to let me know that that the team did a great job so of course I got to share it with the team and the leaders and our new CEO Chris Glockmorton who I mentioned and just said, hey, great job. You know, I gave a little bit of the history of this person who I've known for 25 years. And so those moments, I mean, that that's that's real, that's tangible. I, I love that sort of thing. I'm very proud of those moments uh, that, that come to me uh, on a not so unfrequent basis that I'm, I'm very, very proud of. I, I'm proud of our growth and, and what the team has accomplished and it continues to accomplish and evolve. I watch you know, at work all day to day, just watching what they're working on. And, and sometimes at a superficial level, sometimes I'm in the meeting and listening and, and learning and offering input. And there's a lot of times where they don't need my input. They, they have a great group working on a particular project or a priority that they don't need this, as I call myself, this old war horse hanging around, you know, talking about the old days. And so those moments are, are very pleasing to me. And I'll, I'll share one story, and you can decide to edit it or not, but I'll share one story that uh, uh, this was pre-HIPAA, and it's a story that I, I was uh, working with uh, Billie Jean King, 
And uh, so she was, people always ask me, who's the most interesting patient I ever treated? And I always say it's Billie Jean King, because she had, she was more interested in hearing about my story than I was about hers. And, you know, you know, you know the, the tennis player and the uh, woman and a, a uh, person that broke through all the barriers that Billie Jean King broke through in her career and still uh, leading the way in women and sport and the causes she's she's involved with uh, is is she's an amazing amazing person. So we were put together, and I was treating her, and uh, it was in our first clinic when we only had one clinic, and I, I treated her for a couple of different conditions over the years. One I remember was her shoulder, and. At the same time, the movie The Fugitive uh, with Harrison Ford was being filmed and Harrison Ford tore his ACL during the filming of that movie and I was working with him. And uh, I had finished working with Harrison one morning. He came in in the early morning and he was getting cleaned up in our restroom shower facilities and was getting ready to leave. And he's walking out at the same time. And now I'm working with Billie Jean King and she saw Harrison walking across our, our, you know, towards the front door and she said, Harrison, and he's like, Billy Jean, and they're hugging it out in our first facility. And I didn't know they, they knew each other. They had played in some pro-am tennis event, you know, years before, and they were friendly or friends. And I had lunch later that day and uh, later that morning. And I remember calling my wife and just saying, you know, I think we're going to make it. You know, I just had Harrison Ford and Billie Jean King hugging it out in our first location. And uh, it was just one of those things that, like, you can't make this stuff up. So uh, this is an example of, you know, the memories that come back. But the the things that, that mean the most to me are watching the growth of our staff being part of their lives for so long. And Iqbal, you have to you know, 30 plus years now that I've, I've gotten to know so many people that have been with us five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, going on 30 years. So now we're talking children, graduates of school, high school, graduates of college, marriages. I, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the relationships established with the team members and the people I get to work with on a day-to-day -day basis are the most important thing to me. And uh, something I hold very dear, uh, and as a blessing that Athletico has brought me since its inception in 1991. That is truly a blessing, and I'm I'm glad that you said it. I, it I, I want to go back for a second. That had to be a very surreal moment to see two celebrities sitting in your office, acknowledging and hugging each other. Because yeah, that's a pretty big premonition that you're going to make it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, that had to be like 92, 93. I don't know. Somewhere, look up when the fugitive was filmed in Chicago, and I'd tell you the story. But uh, we all—I think we had 12 staff members at the time, and we went out and saw the movie on a Friday night after it came out, and it was—it was kind of fun uh, staff outing. But we, we had 12 people, not 8,000, so it was easier to find tickets to a theater that particular night. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. But I think it's also very interesting about—I mean, like when you're when you started Atletico, right? Like I, there was no false pretense like oh we're just going to become like this 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 national empire of, of delivering physical therapy like it was just a really like most entrepreneurs you just wanted to survive uh and now you have a family of over eight thousand associates and that's i think what really struck me in that conversation and that statement is the fact that like you've got people that have gotten married have kids and, and you've been a part of that in some way shape or form and your your legacy is really remarkable and built upon those relationships that and were were forged in this this environment that you created. Um, that that is really really nice. So we have uh, one of our clinicians, Denise Cundy, a young woman that uh, opened our facility by uh, Comiskey Park or Guaranteed Rate Stadium, as the old school version, and I'm old school as I know you are. But uh, we, uh, I just received a uh, message from her and I, I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to connect to her in time, but uh, she's relocating to our facility that we're opening in Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, she, uh, 
has the ability to move, wants to relocate, wanted to get down there, and you know, is able to do that via our company, which is so pleasing to me because uh, we haven't gotten to this question, but the, the hardest thing for me in my career is when people have left Athletico. And, you know, we're not perfect. And we, we were, you know, when we had people leave to go to move, uh, relocate or whatever, there's just sometimes we, we don't have the ability to control that. But when I, whenever anyone would share with me, and I would typically sit down with them and talk with them, call it an exit interview or what have you, or, you know, what's the story? And if they said that we weren't able, meaning Athletico wasn't able, Mark Kaufman wasn't able to meet their career goals, that those were the, the messages that, that stung the most, that hurt. And uh, so I always wanted to be a company. I always said that I wanted Athletico to be the best operating physical therapy rehabilitation company in the country. I never wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best operating, you know, the best, best company, best culture, best, you know, patient outcomes, whatever. And we're not, you know, leading. I'm not saying that's us, but we're, if we're working to get there, I think we're well served. And, you know, we will be what ultimately our destiny will be if we, you know, can control that, which we, we should, and take the reins on that. But to see a, a young woman like Denise, who's just a fantastic therapist, a fantastic leader, and a fantastic uh, person, uh, being able to relocate, move to Atlanta, and still support our company just means the world to me. And so, uh, we're going to we'll connect in Atlanta, and I'll see her because she's dynamite. She's a Cleveland fan, Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Indians. She's a Cavalier, huge sports fan, very confused, <laughs> but uh, just a wonderful woman, and I'm excited for her opportunity. Spoken like a true dad. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Mark, I, you know, when you talk about Denise, I'm sure that you have lots of other stories of other, you know, employees mentees, you know, people that have come through at a young age in their career and have gone on to do amazing and great things. You know, you've served as a phenomenal mentor and leader uh, in many capacities. But, you know, I'm sure that you will agree that, you know, we're not, we, we didn't become who we are just because it's us. Other people have been very instrumental in our journey as well. And I'm curious to know if there's ever an individual uh, that maybe either early on or even mid-career where you felt like they were very, very impactful in the success of your career um, and Atletico as a whole. Is there, some in, is there one person that you would like to acknowledge on this show today, maybe more, but at least one by name that you would say, hey, I really want to just take an opportunity to say thank you to so-and-so because here's what they were able to do for me and the organization. I'd say this, Iqbal, I, I'd say that uh, there's not one, there's several, you know, I've, I've, uh, if there's one thing I am is observant, I pay attention to details, and uh, in the blessing of physical therapy of being an athletic trainer is every day is different, right, you meet a new set of patients, you learn from them, and there's people that you connect to, and you all of a sudden are working with them on their knee, and you ask questions, and start talking about life, and whatever, and they, you find people that are just offering a different perspective and uh or offering like billy jean king you know they're offering themselves up and asking questions about me i'm here i'm treating one of the most famous athletes in the world and she's asking me about what makes me tick and so you know those opportunities you just cannot pass up and i i wasn't one to pass them up so if i would you know i would say uh, Jim Defmer, who's, you know, if, if there if there's been a life coach or a professional coach that I've had in my life, it's been Jim Defmer, the conscious leadership group, found him through YPO, engaged him with the organization, helped evolve and describe in detail and understand our culture. Uh, Mike Crane is a business leader, a lawyer that's been a mentor to me. Uh, I think of my high school football coach, Lloyd Cisco. I think of my parents that gave me the work ethic I have. I think of the people I worked with, with at the University of Iowa and Arizona, John Streif, Ed Crowley, Sue Hillman, that, you know, were just professional examples of always trying to learn, get better, do their jobs better and differently. I've been blessed by so many, so many. And those people keep entering my life that um, I... I, uh, I call it, you know, what our personal, I, when I describe it to our team, I call it the, my personal advisory board, and I, I encourage them to develop their own. And it can't be just their parents or their, their minister or their priest or somebody. It's got to be more than that. And there's 
just so many skills that that you're going to get from engaging with these types of people that I I just encourage people to do. And I, I'm sure I've missed, you know, all the physicians I've worked with and others and my colleagues at Athletico, but those off the top of my, my hat are just a few of the ones that have truly impacted my life that I think about on a regular basis. And, uh, and like I said, I continually surround myself with, with, uh, more and more folks and, and, uh, and I, I add and subtract, uh, from my toolbox with these, these skills that I, I get from uh, working with others. And so, again, just a real blessing from the career I, you know, started off on and 30 plus years ago. Mark, you know, you've talked about uh, exposing yourself to different ideas and, and really working with different people so that you can get a better uh, perspective on, on life. You know, when I think about some of the conversations I have with both uh, other executives, as well as clients uh, and, and other healthcare professionals, you know, I find a lot of people are looking for new uh, mediums to learn new information. Um, and for some of my guests that come on the show, they are avid book readers. Um, others like myself, who were once avid book readers, have now learned to absorb information through a digital medium. So whether it's, you know, YouTube or TEDx videos, is there a book, a video, a speaker, or an author that you highly recommend to people today uh, as part of their own personal journey or their personal enrichment journey? Um, Eckhart Tolle comes to mind, you know, Power Now. Um, but uh, the one that I, that was kind of the, a bit of a game changer for me was, uh, and you're talking to a, a little bit of a caffeine addict, was Howard Schultz with Starbucks. And I read uh, his first book, I think, I think it's called, I've read all of them, but uh, Pour Your Heart Into It, I think was it. And it, it taught me a couple things. One thing it taught me, uh, and I remember is a quote, and it's kind of the way I looked at uh, Athletico's world when I was running astray or didn't know where to put my energy because I thought there was just so many things I had to have attention on or pay attention to. And his quote was everything matters. And, you know, if, if you're going to sidestep the right way of doing things, the people around you are going to pay attention to that. Mark, Mark just sidestepped that, or he avoided the confrontation, or he could have done something differently and he chose not to. And so you, you have to, again, going back to my message on consistency, it has to, you're not going to be perfect. I love the journey of trying to be perfect, but I, I, as a person that has a, a bit of a perfectionistic wing, uh, meaning I'm not perfect, but I always think I, I should be or could be, when I finally accepted the fact that I'm not going to be, but enjoy the ride, it's been a, a, a release where I do my best, know I'm not going to be perfect, and just keep trying to get better. But he had this thing that everything matters, and I, I, I truly subscribe to that. I love Danny Myers, the restaurateur's view of service versus hospitality. You know, everybody's going to do great service, but the ones that really connect and change the patient or the customer's experience, there's a different level of service. You have a service expectation when you walk in and get a cup of coffee, but if somebody engages you and says, Iqbal, I love your tie with your suit, or I love the glasses, the way they sit on your head or whatever, you know, those little comments are something that, that means something to you and they're not they're not uh, gratuitous. I mean, there's there's somebody says something that's meaning. I look for something to appreciate about you, and I look for something to connect to you on. And so I think there's things like that that come to mind. But uh, everything matters. From Howard Schultz in his first book, uh, always comes to mind when people ask me a question like you just asked me. I'll have to add that to my list on Audible. Uh, I do listen to books, so. I listen to, uh, yeah, I gave, well, I don't, I haven't given up on reading, but I, my, I keep track of the books I've read. I've done that since probably almost 20 years now, every year. And my books went probably as a high of a dozen to as low as two or three in a year until I started listening to books. And now it's, you know, 20, 30 now it's uh it's a great gift and sometimes i have to backtrack <laughs> and uh because i fall asleep but 
I, I get a lot more done and it's it's uh, audible and audible uh, audiobooks are great great tools for that yep if uh, you ever find me walking on a treadmill it's either a podcast or an audiobook one of the two is always on yep mark you've you've shared a lot of amazing insights throughout this conversation right we've talked about uh, you know of, of strong worth work ethics you know leadership development both internally and then also for others um, you know, if you had one final piece of advice to give to the listeners today, especially those that are on a, a career advancement journey, um, or maybe if it was yourself at a younger age, what would be that one thing that you would tell them? Like, hey, you know, while you can do all of these things, I would really encourage you to maintain your focus and do this every day. Like, this is the thing that's really going to help you. So I have a sarcastic uh, sense of humor. I, I deflect from seriousness by throwing humor out. So the quote that came to me was by this character I worked with at Iowa and Arizona. And he used to tell students, right, student athletes, he used to say, never let school get in the way of your education. And and I, I, I think I always, I still use that today. I tell people that, you know, when they're going off to college and they look at me and, but they get it, right? And what I think that at least means to me is there's so much learning you're going to get. You're going to sit down with a book and you're going to, you know, you're going to really enjoy two thirds of the subjects you study. And then there'll be a third of them you're going to really have to work at. But there's so much learning available to you outside of the classroom or within the classroom unrelated to the subject matter. And, you know, the way people interact, their self-awareness, the th little, the little things that really matter to a relationship or how to communicate or what lands with you or how do you deliver a, a, uh, a school lecture or a lesson or a lesson plan or, you know, how do you prepare a class for a test or what have you. So when you're talking about school, but I, I, I joke with my three daughters about being a lifelong learner. I believe I exemplify that. And I'm always, if you saw my office surrounded me, there's stacks of articles that I've either printed out that I want to read. There's links I've saved. There's books that I haven't read in this room that I, you know, what I will get to, I hope. Uh, unfortunately, I'll probably be buying them on audiobooks or audible.com instead of <laughs> reading, though I still enjoy reading a book. It just takes me a lot longer. But I think the, the, the openness, being open in your mind and your heart to learning and uh, and surrounding yourself with people that were going to improve yourself, I think it's a good way to go about it. And it's rewarding and it feels good. And it's like after a workout, after you've learned something and you reflect on it and you embrace it and you try to employ it into your life going forward, I think that's, that's uh, really uh, powerful, just like working on your physical health and the, and the endorphin release or the runner's high or whatever you get from that particular physical workout. So um, focusing on your learning, never let school get in the way of your education. I think it's uh, worth reflecting on. I know. I think that that's really appropriate. Um, sometimes people will get lost with what's presented to them as gospel truth. Like, here's my curriculum. I'll follow it. And that's it. And in reality, there's so much more that's that's out there to be learned. Mark, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and my listeners on the show. Uh, I'm excited to see how Atletico is going to grow, especially now with this new news of, of its uh, complete uh, acquisition of, of Pivot Health. And you have a lot of greater things ahead of you. I'm looking forward to hearing more about them. And I'm wishing you nothing but success in 2022 and beyond. Iqbal, I really appreciate that. It's great to be on your program with you. And um... We have a great team, uh, a great opportunity in front of us with the business of Athletico, but uh, couldn't be more proud of what we accomplished, but really excited about what the uh, years to come bring to our organization. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, 
visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career, build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.